So good to be here with you all this morning. If you're still grabbing coffee, I'll give you a couple seconds to um, grab a cup and get seated. Um, my name is Judah. I'm, if you've never seen me before or never been here before, I'm one of the pastors here at Word of Grace, and I'm uh, so excited to share what God has laid on my heart. Uh, for the next few weeks, I'm going to be sharing um, a series called Spirit and Truth. Now, this is following on the heels of what um, Bob and Donovan shared with us, uh, specifically when Donovan was dealing with this whole idea of being trained in truth, of handling the truth that God has given us. It is always in connection to the one who said it. It's always in connection to the one who spoke to you, and he says, will you believe me? And then working with that truth is what establishes you in God. It's what puts your feet on solid ground. When anxiety wants to run, run rampant in the middle of a situation, there is truth that God has spoken, not necessarily regarding the situation first, but about who He is. And if I have not established that, everything else is on shaky ground. Does that make sense? So, for this uh, series, and it's been a while since uh, we have explicitly taught on worship. So, I want to go back to some things that are foundational. But at the same time, I really want to establish something as a context for our church um, in pursuing God well. Okay? And it is always in the context of Him saying, I have loved you first. It's always in the context of him saying, I have pulled you out of darkness for a purpose. So our response in these things is always in the light of, in the shining light of him saying, I will cause my face to shine upon you. I will give you peace. Okay, that's the famous ironic blessing, which you start to see when God starts to turn his face towards you, everything changes. But the issue is we don't think God is turning his face towards us. And when he does, we're afraid we're going to get spanked. Or worse. And that is what we need to reform in our thinking. So to start this series off, I want to go to a passage of scripture that explicitly talks about what, why we're using those words, spirit and truth. In John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, it says, But the hour is coming, and this is Jesus talking. This is when Jesus was walking the earth. He was talking to, he had just dealt with the woman at the well. And he says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such a people who would worship him. Now to give you context so that you're not wondering what all that is about. Verse 24 says, For God is spirit. So those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So it, right out of the gate, it establishes that worship has to be a spiritual act. It's not songs. It is not bands. It definitely is not Number one singles, right? What we're dealing with 
is a connotation we have when we say the word worship is, it, you can put your hand up if you want to. When you, when you hear the word worship, is a song the first thing that comes to your mind? Yeah? Or something musical, right? But Jesus is talking about something that goes way beyond songs, right? So he's saying the worshipers that God is seeking are people who will worship in spirit and in truth. And just to define that a little bit, he says, for God is a spirit. He's not a human being that needs you to pat him on the back. We're not, we're not coming to somebody who needs, oh, he's, he's you know, just, let's, let's, let's take him out to the ball game. Just show him a good time. So let me write you a little ditty. Hmm. Now, now, now do you get why moving down a certain, what we would call a commercialized, uh, modern church kind of thing that we've all gotten so used to, is not where God's heart is fundamentally. Are songs bad? No. We will cover that in a little bit. But today what I want to establish is, if we are going to worship God, we need to find out it takes more than natural means. It's taking something that involves the Spirit. Well, how do I do that? And that is where that aspect of truth comes in. Now, God has shown us who He is, and He says, in light of that, I want you to pursue me. So spirit, you cannot engage something spiritual without God doing it first. Okay? That should immediately give you a big red flag. If, if someone says, I know the way to God, and God is not the one who initiated it, we're in trouble already. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 through 14 says, Now we have not received a spirit from the world. But the, the Spirit of God, who is from God. Okay, so we've received the Holy Spirit. That, why? Why have we received the Holy Spirit? That we might understand the things freely given to us by God. The things that God has freely given to us, He says, I want you to understand it. I want you to understand who I am and what I do in connection with you. And when we talk about these things, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by who? Taught by the Spirit. So anyone under the power of my voice right now, who is teaching here really? Some of you are already looking at my face and established that this is who we're listening to. But if my heart is not in a spirit and truth context, you will end up hearing Judah. Does that make sense? Whereas my heart is already programmed to say, Lord, I want to understand you. Open the eyes of my heart that I might understand you. Then suddenly the person is irrelevant. It could be a five-year-old. It could be an old person. It could be someone who's got 15 degrees. It could be someone who works as a day laborer. It doesn't matter to you because your heart is so set on saying, Lord, show me your face. I want to know you. The natural person, this is verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are like foolishness to him. He is not able to understand because they are spiritually discerned. So anything that is initiated by your intellect or your ability to grasp something, you're already starting off on the wrong platform. 
What is God seeking? Those who will worship in spirit and in truth. So if you're going to understand the way to approach God, it's going to have to be spiritual. It cannot start intellectual. It cannot start musical. It cannot start any other, any other thing that you can try and formulate to be something that you think, well, God should really think this is awesome. He says, the ones I'm seeking are those who come saying, Lord, in the innermost being, I want to understand you. I want to perceive who you are. And that's what leads us to what we're discussing today. So for today's message, I'm going to be working with two very big concepts. I'm not going to go into it in detail, but enough that you will understand that this is the platform we start on. To worship in spirit and truth, we need to have revelation. Without revelation, you cannot worship. And I have subdivided that under two very big categories, which is the glory of God and the holiness of God. I mean, we could talk for hours on these things. But what I need you to see is that when God draws us into a a context of worship, He is trying to give us a picture of who He is, an engagement of who He is, That you, when you're talking to him, you know what truth is. He sets the context for truth. This is why we have such a big problem in our day. We set the context for truth based on our perceptions and experiences. No one is willing to go to the one who created all things and say, set the context for me. What am I missing here? Your word is truth, not what I decide, not what I think I see in this situation. So if you were to do a coloring page, God basically, revelation is God giving you crayons to color the picture in. He says, this is what this looks like. This is where you color this in. You use this here. It is based on his character, how he, what he values, what he is, and how he operates. So the responses of worship, worship is a response to something you have seen. So if I were to distill down the simplicity of what worship is, it's a response to the God you have seen. So my question is, what have you seen? What have you seen? I'm not asking you what theology you know. I'm not asking how much of Bible understanding you have. I'm saying, what have you seen of God in your innermost being? And this is going to challenge Christians on a fundamental level. Because many of us have lived in church. We know how to speak churchanese. We know how to talk the talk. And if you press it down a little bit further, I don't need to press it down. You do that for yourself. Say, what do I know of God in my heart of hearts? And these are the fundamental places of conviction that will make you stand or fall when the storm comes. So what we're dealing with here is far more serious than just, do you feel that song really connected with you? I really don't care if the song connected with you. 
The issue is, did you meet with a revelation of who God is that said, Lord, my life is yours, and I write the context for my life in light of who you are. So let's just break this down. The truth of who God is. So we know that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in a spiritual manner, accompanied with a truth that is informing what your spiritual act of worship is. This is where the word glory finds its root. The truth of who God is. What is the truth of who God is? The truth of who God is, is His glory. Without the glory of God, you don't have truth. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 comes back to something very basic. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, or in other translations, he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So I come expecting you to be who you are, who you say you are. Not just in an existential way. So when that, which is why in some translations it just says that he is. In other translations it says that he exists. Must believe that he is who he says he is. That he exists as the one that he says he is. And he will reward anyone who diligently seeks after him. We have to establish that he is the first and that he is the last. He's the one who writes the story. In Isaiah 44, verse 6, it says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, the Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. You need to be clear in your heart that without Him, there is no context. There is nothing in my experience that can define life if he is not the one writing it from first to last. The problem is we feel like we owe it to ourselves and our scientific minds to be able to say, well, this makes sense to me, so this is why it figures this way. As someone who is extremely critical and analytical in almost any part of my life, I can assure you, I do not throw away my scientific thinking when I say, Lord, I come to you as someone who defines everything I do. Help me reason deep within. Help me understand, but I will not use my understanding and my intellect as the ceiling for what you will show me. The word glory is this Hebrew word, Kavod, okay? And it means, in, in many senses, it is to do with the weight of somebody or the presence, the, the weight someone holds in a room. When someone famous comes into a room, there is that sudden kind of... All that happens. Why? You don't care if I walk in the room. Or maybe you do, I don't know. But, it's, but the, there is a certain recognition that makes way for something. 
It's like their largeness is filling a space. And they don't have to be a very large person. It's just by virtue of them walking in, the atmosphere changes. That is glory. So there is a glory attributed to every single person. Unfortunately, in our day, have you noticed, sometimes kids have the least amount of glory. Why? Because no one cares when they are walking around until they walk into something or destroy something. We do this with people of lower standing, lower education, lower... All of these things, this is how society operates. It is not meant to be this way in the house of God, but we will deal with that later. We're dealing with the more fundamental issue. Does God walking into the room matter? Does it? On an intellectual level, yeah, it matters. On a spiritual level, does it matter? Are the places deep within my heart exposed to who God is that He gets to write the story of whatever my experience is right now? May 21st, 2023. Does He get to inform Judah of today in his heart of hearts and says, I have walked into the room. Is there room for me here? He is that without me doing anything. He is who he is. He doesn't need my help. He doesn't need my affection to feel better about himself. He doesn't need my appreciation and my pat on the back. So when we talk about worship, we must understand what we are doing is not coming to someone and say, Oh, I guess, I guess you're, you're a grouch if we don't like quickly hit the drums and start going like, hey, Yay, Jesus! We got to quickly do something, a quick song and dance. Quick, put, put something together. He's coming. He doesn't need that. Everything revolves around God's glory. Romans 11, I'm just going to take you through a few scriptures quickly, just so that you see this. Write this down, Romans 11, 36, Psalm 24, verse 1, and Hebrews 1, verse 3. Ephesians 1, 11, and Colossians 1, 20. So I'm not going to read all of those. Romans 11, 36, Psalm 24, verse 1. Hebrews 1 verse 3, Ephesians 1 11, and Colossians 1 20. Now all of these passages of scripture remind us that God is the one who starts everything and He is the one who sustains all things. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. So he's there at the start, he's there in the process, and he is the object and the goal of all things. That's Romans eleven thirty six. When we look at Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the whole universe by the word of his power. In Ephesians 1.11 we see, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. 
Colossians 1.20, he reconciles all things to himself, whether things on earth, in heaven, anywhere. He reconciles all things to himself. Don't be ever confused. Don't ever be confused that this life is somehow about you. That what we're walking on, what we're doing here on earth is somehow connected to you making it through and being somebody worth mentioning. The glory of man fades as quickly as it starts. Our life is but a breath. But the glory of God in the context of just the awesomeness, the sparkling immense radiance of who he is. Glory is again used in that context. In the context of radiating brilliance. To put it in simple language, but at the same time not simple language. It's, it's like, how do I describe something that is so amazing, but, I, but when you see it, you're like, da, da, da. That's what glory is. Da, da, da. That's the definition. <laughs> but the problem is, when you apply weight to something, there are so many inner workings that are so overawed by this whole experience. I have seen something cannot comprehend. And that is the starting place of worship. The problem is, we want the starting place of worship to be something I do comprehend. The starting place of worship is the immense glory of God that he says, I will cause my face to shine upon you. So much so when Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. He says, I will cause my goodness to go before you. My name will pass before you. And I will hide you in the cleft of the rock. And as I walk by, Moses was just shy. He was like a lightning bug for many days. Just from that experience. The whole of Israel stayed away from him. Now, let me put this in context. So you see the, 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 the awesomeness that we, we literally walk past every day. You and I are the dwelling place of the Most High God. This awesome, glorious God that we cannot comprehend, cannot put into words, cannot even begin to describe, says, I have come to live within you. And we go, well, I guess if God just showed up, you know, that would be good. Where is His glory? Has He stopped being shiny? Has He stopped being radiant? Sure, you not. The early church found out pretty quick. It doesn't make it to the news, but when people fall dead, it does. We're starting to get closer to what we're dealing with here. We're not dealing with something trivial, we're not dealing with just something that is a we sing. I'll give you glory. Another glimpse of glory we sing once more. Worthy, 
Ooh. What you were singing was very potent stuff. So don't let the ditty lull you into a place of thinking you're dealing with someone who needs a little nice song. He didn't need your song. What he was looking for was, is there revelation in the inner heart? Do you see who I am? Which is why, all through scripture, you will see God say, I will give you a glimpse of my glory, because no one can see God and live. Nobody can see God and live. That fact remains true to this day. If God shows up in all of his radiance, you will not be alive. It's like a million nuclear blasts all at once. Forget about vaporized. You just never happened. We're talking about that much raw power. And he, in his amazing gentleness and his love, says, I want to fellowship with you. I love to spend time with you. And so when he comes and says, come sit down with me for a while. Oh, man. The fact that he withholds all of the judgment he could bring to the table, all of the, just the radiance of who he is, the awesomeness of who he, he holds all of that back in a way that you can comprehend and just be around. And he says, I love you with an unveiling love. That is your God. The fact that we're even sitting in this room, not on our face, is because He loves you. But when you do get a glimpse, I can guarantee, 14-year-old me, when I was, this is something that I've been teaching and working with for most of my life. I started with worship when I was 11 years old. And I never stopped. But this is something that now as a 40-year-old, I'm like, I start to understand something. So I say, Lord, you showed this to a 14-year-old. When I did not get this stuff. But he says, I gave you a glimpse. I showed you things that mattered that your mind couldn't catch up with yet. There would be days when I'd just be on my room floor, flat on my face. Don't know if I was singing. It'd be two, three hours later. And I'd get up and I'd be like so drenched in who God was. I don't know how songs would come out of it. I would read the Bible and it would not be boring. All of these things would happen simply because God said, I will show you my face. In a way that you will still live. And it did not take a Bible degree. It did not take a lot of Bible reading. All it did was someone who said, Lord, I, you said seek my face. Lord, I will seek your face. So when, I, so when I'm sharing with you, what I want you to understand is God's glory cannot be defined, but he wants to show you. And I want to put a parallel here. This kind of worship flies in the face of what I, for lack of a better term, call pagan worship. This is something that was the context for humanity. There were gods 
that required people to do sacrifices for them, bring food to them, bring women to them, because that's the, that's the best part about temple service, right? Sacrifice babies to them. This is how the ancient world lived. And in the middle of that was this Yahweh God, who allegedly was the most high of all the gods. So it wasn't just a name. He was the most high. He was called the possessor of heaven and earth. All other beings were lower than him. But were trapped in servitude to lesser gods. So when God makes a declaration, there is no God beside me. He's not saying that there, isn't a, there is an absence of other spiritual powers. That is not what he is saying. What he is saying is, none of them even come close to the radiance of who I am. You deign to call them God? They pull you into servitude. They bind you into practices that are abominable. And you do it gladly, hoping they will throw you a bone. Look at the religions of this earth. It is contained in this simple statement. If you do these things, good will come to you. If you only worshipped the right way. And God says this. So when you read this, I want you to understand this is the God we're talking about. Psalm 50 verse 8. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. This is God talking to his children. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. So there are offerings that you're presenting. In that time, there were other burnt offerings being presented to other gods. And all these things are happening. And then God says, I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your fold. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills that move. And all that moves in the field is mine. It's already mine. If I were hungry... I would not tell you. For the world and all its fullness is mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Because that seems to be the, the running thing. If you looked at Egyptian religion, you looked at Mesopotamian religion, you looked at Southern and American ancient civilizations, all of these things were gory. In some big, like there was like somehow you were going to appease the gods. By doing these weird and nasty things. Do I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats? Here's what I want you to do. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And perform your vows to the Most High. Call upon me when you're in trouble. And I will deliver you and then you will glorify me. The glory of God is seen in Him being God to you. Not in you trying to Godify Him. You cannot God, make God more God by the things you do for Him. That's what He's establishing here. Pagan religion starts from the foundation of, when you do this, I will be God, and then I can give something to you in return. And guess what? Christianity has done that too. 
How many of you have a cross around your neck? Many of us do. Do you know where all that comes from? Is it a bad thing? It's a good thing. But some people are sucked into the thing that this will somehow keep me from something. You cannot do anything to keep yourself in God. God does that. Your cross won't help you. Having a cross in this building won't save this church. It just looks nice. That's about the, the, the purpose of that. Because if the revelation that goes with that isn't in you, guess what? That cross isn't going to save you. How many of you have a Bible? I bet all of you should, right? But guess what? We glorify this. To the point of this being what you worship, not the God who spoke it. Your Bible and your understanding won't save you. Offering to Him a sacrifice of thanksgiving, presenting yourself to Him when you read it, man, dynamite. But the problem is, we've gotten used to keeping the Bible under my pillow. Where do you think all this junk comes from? Paganism. Oh, if I keep a scripture on my fridge, on my front door, ah, that's, that will save my house. As for me and my house, we will serve. Great verse. It won't save your house. Write book. But without the revelation, just words. The glory of God is what is meant to be in the houses of God. Wherever the house of God is. And guess where the house of God is? Me, you, we're the house of God. Not this building for sure. The problem is in the modern church, we have, we have glorified these different things and they have taken the place of the awesomeness of God. Can I have the first slide? So I want to draw this. I've got, I got a couple of pictures there. I want you to see that if God is the source of all things, His glory is a display of who He is and what He is like. So this is something that is already there. You don't add to it. You don't make it happen. So when I say, Lord, I want to give you glory, I'm not adding to something that He is. Are you hearing me? When we give glory to God, we're not adding to Him. We're making known what He is like. What he has done. These are things that is already part of who God is. I'm not adding to his accolades. He doesn't need mine. He doesn't need my little trophy. But his holiness, which is a connected concept in the context of God's glory, he is so radiant and magnificent, he is holy. There is nobody like him. Which is why he says, besides me there is... No God. He is set apart entirely. That's what that word actually means. Holy means to be set apart. God is not like us. He's not like you and me. His glory, similarly, 
cannot be rivaled by anyone or anything. No power, no dominion, no spiritual principality, no matter what it is. No family relationship. Some of the things that are going on in your lives seem like the highest power or mountain you have ever faced. It feels like that. But what you need is a glimpse of glory. When you see the awesomeness of who God is, when he speaks, and this is what Donovan was dealing with, when he speaks, suddenly the holiness of that moment says, Lord, you have set me apart for this moment. You are not like me. You are not like the situation I'm facing, but I step into the set-apartness of who you are. Show me. So when I come and approach His holiness, I start to perceive things that He is like. I want to cover this. Can you show me the second picture? When you see that, what comes to mind? You, got, you just had a picture in your mind. The moment you saw that picture, some of you is like, oh, I'd love to be there right now. The next picture. Not, you're not your type. Okay. Next. An early morning sunrise. The next picture. Our worship team. <laughs> Next picture. The American flag. Next picture. Okay, now you can take it off. All of these pictures have a certain association in your mind. I was going to put some other people's picture. I mean, we don't need my picture there anymore. Uh, I was going to put like... Like famous politicians, and I thought, let's just not go there. But, uh, but all of these things have an association that we pull after. There is a draw. There is a glory we assign to it, for better or for worse, that draws the affections of our heart and we don't necessarily say that that's God to us. We would never say that. But we assign to it a value that God doesn't. When you find that when you see God, you start to say, Lord, you define this thing for me. Whatever this is, you've given me skill to do something. You've given me a gift. I get to go on a vacation. I get to go relax. But you define it. This is how you bring God glory. Not because you're adding to it by suddenly now sacrifice. I'm going to wear, wear this tatty pair of pants for the next 15 years because God doesn't want me to. I'm not talking about trying to do something that looks ascetic. I'm saying do things that say, Lord, I want everything in my life to be put in the context of who you are. And without Jesus revealing who God is to you, you cannot see Him. 
Which is why it is important if you are sitting here, if you do not know Jesus as your personal Savior, and when I say that, I mean you understand that you are not able to reach God without Him. Your goodness is not going to get you there. He is entirely holy. He is entirely glorious. That is the essence of who He is. Which is why I love the songs that we picked today. I, I really want us, as the ch when we gather as the church, our primary purpose is not to hear teaching. Our primary purpose, unfortunately, in the modern church, the goal has become listening to sermons. The primary goal of the gathered church is to glorify Christ. When we see Him, we see stuff differently. I'm not talking about when you understand more about Him. That's what this part is, right? And we all clamor for this. We all clamor for some podcast, some preacher who is really, oh, they really teach the Bible. I, I'm telling you what, that will become your pagan God. Good Bible teaching will become your God. Because you are not willing to say, I will press into your presence, past the things that I understand to say, Lord, show me your face. When I do that, he says, now go to my word. I will show you some wonderful things. Wow. But I'm telling you, it's the trap of modern times and modern Christianity. Our worship team, as wonderful as they are, I love them. But they will become a God to you. They will become the worship to God for you. That was our first song. They cannot do it for you. They just cannot. As much as I hate being the one who constantly pokes this issue, if you will not open your mouth and say, I don't care if you sound like Michael Jackson. I don't care if you sound like Adele. I don't care if you sound like somebody who sells thousands of records. If you sound like a donkey, go for it like sounding like a donkey. Guess what? He's listening. But if you have breath and you refuse it, it's mine. I'm going to look like a fool. In the midst of God's glory, you're wondering about how you look? Really? That is what worship is. I, my singing to God is not going to give Him anything more. He doesn't need my song. He doesn't even need my words. But when he, I say I'm a child of His and I stand in His presence with His people and I say, that's just not my thing. not my thing well you made your choice but be fully aware what you're doing is not worship you can sit there say that's all my stuff I don't I mean I get it some people are all crazy they got the drums going and it's too loud I, I get that some things are just not your preference but when the church gathers, we worship.
I don't care about the sermon. But when the church gathers, if we haven't worshipped, we haven't done what we came to do. So in all the things that we end up doing, I don't care about songs. If you're someone who just says, you know what, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know how to sing. Please, don't worry about the song. Just offer yourself to God. Please, do that from a place of saying, Lord, show me who you are. I'm telling you, it comes naturally. It will not be something forced that some Pentecostal like weird, like, okay, now everyone's doing this. And I don't care what your church background is. If you're not Pentecostal, charismatic, Presbyterian, whatever it was, I don't care. But when God shows you who he is, you will respond. But you need to come saying, Lord, show me who you are. So that when you're at home, I guarantee there will be places where God, like while you're washing dishes, while you're having a shower, while you're putting kids to bed, all of these places you will find God show you something and you'll be like, how did I understand that? How, how, how did I get that? It's because you Prep to yourself and saying, Lord, I want to bring myself to you in view of who you are. Not in view of my situation, but in view of who you are. I want to end with these verses here. Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So this is why your business is with Jesus. You better do business with Jesus if you haven't. Because He's the one who holds the eyesight to see. If you want eyes to see, I encourage you right now. Don't have to have complicated words. I'm not going to do a big altar call and make you come and do something here. But what I want you to do is respond to Him when He calls your name. I read this verse earlier. We have not received a spirit from the world. We have received the spirit of God so that we can understand what he has done. So we can perceive things that our intellect sometimes just cannot get our head around. There's an understanding that is deep within that goes beyond just intellectual things. And this is my, one of my favorite verses. Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. And this is my prayer for our church constantly. Every time I pray for our church, this is what I pray. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe? According to the working of His great might. This is something that I want you to understand. And that understanding is not going to be intellectual. It's going to be in the inner heart. Psalm 51 tells us this. Lord, you desire truth in my innermost being. Not truth up here. Because truth up here is things that I can explain to everybody. But when it comes to who you are, that's where I'm stumped. 
That's where I don't have words. I'm the... And in those kinds of places where the... Where you're left with just sounds, the Holy Spirit says, let me show you truth in your innermost being so that when you respond, you're responding from a place of revelation. Something He showed you. It doesn't have to be all-encompassing. Guess what? There will be days when you walk through your day, more truth is given. Why? Because you've been established in who spoke it. You've been established in, I've had time in His presence. Not I've had time with this book. I've had time in His presence with the book. So the Bible is not what speaks to me. It's God who speaks to me. God directly addresses things in my life. Not in the context of, oh, this is what you should have done better. He says, let me show you who I am. When God shows you, this is who I am, suddenly everything changes. Marriage trouble, raising kids problems, jobs not working out, all of these things fall under the context of His glory. It is never in the context of, I guess this is big, and if you can fix it, I hope you can address this. How many of us have been stuck in those kind of prayers? I have. Where I'm so trapped in the enormity of the situation. I, I'm, I'm trying to get God to understand how complicated this is. I mean, I, really. And I'm not saying that facetiously. I'm saying that with all seriousness. I know it's funny. But the enormous, enormous situations we face are never exposed to the glory of who He is. When I start there, then my worship becomes informed when I get to these sorts of things. Which is why in corporate worship, as much as I love some of our songs, I prefer the kind of songs we sang today. Because it is all talking about who He is. If we can do that when we gather as the church, and spend as much time as possible talking about who He is. Yes, there are times when we talk about the brokenness we have and the struggles we go through and how God informs that. Sure. But that's a very specific spiritual moment. But the purpose of the gathered church is to talk about who He is and what He has done. By all means, I will listen to personal worship songs a lot at home and I will spend time writing them even. I have written songs out of deep places of brokenness. And God hears every one of them. But it's in view of His glory. It's in view of His holiness. So when we read the book of Psalms and you see the, 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 the absolute dis despair and disappointment the psalmist goes through, if it is not resolved, it doesn't need to be sung. So when we gather as the church, if we are not saying, I resolve this issue, I'm not saying the situation suddenly magically resolves. I'm saying, when you bring the song to God and say, Lord, this is what my problem is, and I pour my heart out to you, but this is who you are. 
If I do not end there, if that is not my capstone on top of whatever it is I'm trying to lay a foundation for in worship, I'm building on something that will end up going sideways. I will end up becoming an experience-led Christian who is trying to drive my experience and say, you got to somehow figure this out for me, God. And it's a battle between two gods. The God of my problem and the God who is. And I'm, I'm constantly trying to get God to understand my deep anguish. and my, I'm telling you, just look at Him. Behold Him. When you do, my light, the, He shines light on my situation and I'm given words. And words are important. We will get into that next week. But I want to end here with this idea that the relationship that He has set for you is no longer just one who is distant. When you think about the, the enormity of who God is, you'd be like, I don't know if I can get there. I don't know if I can even go near Him. Israel did that. They were like, oh, we don't want to go. Moses, you go. You go talk to Him. You seem to have an, an inside line. God wanted all of them to come. They refused. Can you imagine that? The whole nation refused. And then God said, okay. If that is what they want, so be it. Moses, you come. And he showed Moses. And that's when the commandments were given. But God wanted to talk to them as a father talks to his children. But they were like, oh, you're the, you're the most holy, awesome God. And he's like, yeah, that I am. You say that you're saying is correct. But he wants you to know him. So he withholds his glory and he says, I will go past you. I will be near you. But guess what? He gave his son. This is what John 3.16 says. And I hope you understand this in a totally different light. It's not just Jesus coming to pay for your sins. He came to reveal God the Father to you. So when he comes, he says, I come so that you can see you can be near me. I have laid down my glory and I will come to you. I will not leave you as an orphan. I will come and be with you. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for your work on the cross that enables us to see and to perceive and to know you. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have been given to us to understand in our heart of hearts. Lord, we ask that you would establish truth in our inner being. Lord, that beyond theological points, beyond things of intellectual understanding, Lord, I ask for deep heart understanding, Lord God, that we would know things within that meet you face to face. That we will not be afraid of you. We will not be afraid of looking upon you. But we will come to you gladly knowing that you love us. So Lord, for anyone who has responded to your truth. Lord, for anyone who has responded to your invitation. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would give them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. In the knowledge of you. Lord, that they might perceive things well. That they might see that you have their best in mind. Lord, we give you glory. Lord, in, how, in whatever way we know how, 
we just take this moment to give you glory, to acknowledge that you are God and God alone. We give you honor in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>